Amen. But how about homecoming 2019 at Cedar Street Baptist Church? We got a lot to reflect back on what we've seen in the past, in the present, and even looking toward the future. I see a lot of family and I see a lot of friends. Uh, I see faces that I hadn't seen in a while, but we're glad you're here. Uh, certainly glad you're here, for sure. Thank you. Um, our text this morning comes from Judges chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 13. The title of this message is Passing the Baton of Faith. And what about the children up here this morning? Wasn't that great? That's what it's about. Passing it, what we know about God, passing it on to them. So that's where we're, our text will be in chat, Judges chapter 2, verses 7 through 13. Um, I wanted to uh, give you a little more background on, on this message uh, of how it came to be. Actually, it's been probably a couple years ago. I was teaching a Sunday school class, and we were comparing the early church to our church. We looked at some of the likenesses of our church to the early church and some of the differences. We looked at the older generation and talked about the younger generation. And somebody in, in the class said, well, if you look around in Cedar Street, a lot of the uh, older members are in leadership positions uh, in our church. So the Lord began to deal with me on this subject of passing on the faith to the generations uh, behind us. I believe that as Christians that we have a responsibility to disciple, to mentor those that will come behind us. And so I began to work on this message and I did take that class and I was in there with Brother Dave who I think, you know, the, he told us that to prepare the sermon for it not to be over 15 minutes. I worked on mine really hard. I think it was 14 and a half minutes. But the teacher's pet was 25 minutes. <laughs> so I don't know how that, that happened. So I thought this morning I would just take my time and his. What about that? <laughs> so <laughs> so a, a lot of you in here this morning probably know about a 400-meter relay race. Perhaps some of you have even run in one. That race consists of four runners who each run 100 meters in the race, and the, run, the first runner that takes off has a baton, a little stick in their hand, and the goal is to run that 100 meters, and as they approach the next runner, to pass that baton to that next runner, and they have a limited amount of distance in which uh, to do that. Now, in the 2004 Summer Olympics in Athens, Greece, the American women were favored to win the gold medal. They had trained really hard, they had the fastest runners, and uh, they were scheduled to win the gold. On the second leg of that race, Marion Jones took the baton and took off. As she approached the runner, Lauren Williams, who would run the third leg of the race, she attempted to pass that baton. She made several attempts, but she failed to execute, and they lost the race. Now, as I thought about that, I thought about my career 
in the business world. You know, some of you know that I worked 50 years in the telecommunications business. That's really the only job I ever had except working on the farm. That wasn't really a job. That was just work that you did. There wasn't a whole lot of compensation other than you got to eat and sleep. And <laughs> you, had, you had pretty clothes to wear. Well, clothes to wear. Uh, so uh, about seven of those years, I traveled to southeastern United States uh, installing telephone equipment. And then in 1976, I had the opportunity to go to work with Pilon Telephone, where I worked like 43 years and finished out uh, my career. I stayed long as they would let me. As a matter of fact, one day a co-worker and I were eating lunch at Papa Buck's, and uh, we were sitting there, and somebody stopped by the table. We were just chit-chatting, and they said, Eddie, when are you going to retire? My co-worker said, he already has. He just ain't left. <laughs> but I, I saw a lot, and I saw a lot of changes in those 50 years. Y'all remember the party lines, the telephone party lines? You know, there was anywhere from four to eight people on one phone line. You go to use the phone, there'd be grandmas on there talking to some uh, sister Ethel or somebody. And so what did you do? You just sat there and listened to their whole conversation. Everybody in the neighborhood knew everybody else's business. Well, then I saw that come to Facebook and Twitter, and now we know more than their business. They'll tell you all, all kind of things about their life on Facebook. So it made a full circle. But, it, but as I began to move up the corporate ladder, um, my boss came to me one day uh, because I was still doing a lot of things that probably somebody else needed to be doing. My boss came to me. It was Richard Price. He took over at Pilon in 2002. And then when he left, Mr. Durden took over and, and he was my boss. But uh, Richard called me Mr. Jones and I call him Mr. P. He called me to his office one morning. He said, uh, uh, Mr. Jones, I've noticed that you know how to do a lot of stuff. He said, but do you have a plan for what's going to happen when something happens to you? He said, I don't know if you know this or not, but you either going to retire or die. I said, well, let's work on that first one as long as we can. <laughs> he said, do you understand what the word delegate means? I said, yeah, I think it's in the top five cuss words. <laughs> he said, well, you need to learn what it is. So anyway, I began, he, he mentored me, and I began to delegate. And you remember when uh, they were looking for a king in uh, Israel, they looked out, and Saul stood a little taller than the rest of them, kind of like I stand a little taller than most of y'all. Uh, but... Uh, I looked out and saw people that had skills and that were trainable and uh, big, began to put people around me uh, to train and mentor and uh, raise up. And so I finally did retire at the, two, at the end of 2018 after working there at Pine in total all years combined was like 43 years. Um, so and the last time I looked, they still got the doors open. <laughs> it wasn't all about me. I passed baton on others, and, and it moved along. So this morning, I think we can see that in this physical race, that it's important that you pass the baton. Even in a business sense, it's important that you pass the baton of faith. 
But there's also a spiritual baton, I think, that we need to look at this morning that we need to pass. It's important. You saw those young children up here singing the songs about Jesus. It's important that we do that and that we teach those that come behind us. Paul said that our spiritual journey, he compared it to a race, running a race. He said, I've finished my race. I've given my all. I've taught others to be strong in the faith. International author and speaker Christine Kane said, and I quote, we have a responsibility to carry the baton of faith to the next generation. God is very specific about telling us to fear the Lord and to keep all of his statutes and all of his commandments. But in the process, we're supposed to teach our kids, those behind us, diligently and consistently like he taught us in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He told them, morning, noon, and night, tell them about me. When you get up in the morning, when you eat lunch at noon, when you go to bed at night, tell them about me. Basically, he's saying, live it out in front of them so they'll know God by looking at you. That song they were singing about reflecting God's amazing uh, grace. We pass on what we know about God and the experiences that we've shared by God blessing us, we pass that on to those behind us. Now, this is not some new idea that I invented about passing the baton of faith. And it's not anything that Richard Price invented about delegating. It's been here a long time. There are several examples in the Bible that we could look at. Uh, I'm going to name a few. Moses handed it to Joshua. You remember Moses couldn't go into the promised land because he sinned. He hit the rock and did what God, didn't do what God told him. And so Joshua was there. Moses, Moses trained up Joshua and he handed off the baton to Joshua. And then we see David and Solomon. David wanted to build a temple, but he was a man of war and God would let him build a temple. But his son Solomon wound up building the temple. He passed that baton to him. Then Elijah and Elijah and Elisha. I get those two mixed up. Elisha prayed for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. You know, Elijah was one of those prophets. He was so close to God like Enoch was. It said Enoch walked with God, and for he was not, for the Lord took him. Both of those men were translated. They didn't have to die. They went immediately to be with the Lord. So Elijah and Elisha, and we see Paul to Timothy, and also Paul mentored Titus as well. And then, of course, the greatest example of all of, of delegating and passing on to faith is Jesus and the disciples. In John 14, 12, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Now, we won't do greater works in nature like Christ did, but we can in number. For instance, when Jesus preached a sermon, there was a limited amount of people that could hear him. Now, when Brother Bo preaches a sermon, somebody, people overseas can hear that sermon because of the technology. I think that's, that's what it's uh, talking about here. So, this morning, 
is we look at this idea of passing this, what we know on to others, our main focus is this. Through the experiences of Joshua and the Israelite nation, we can see the necessity of passing the baton of faith. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Judges chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 13. In your pew Bible, that's on page 237. So if you'll turn with me there and stand, please, as we read God's Word, beginning in verse 7. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years, and they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnatheres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all of that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this special day that you've given us, homecoming 2019. And Lord, we pray that this morning as we look to your word, Lord, that we might see the importance of telling those that are coming behind us, Lord, about our faith in a creator who sustained us, who is the author and the giver of life. I thank you for each one that's seated here this morning, Lord, and I pray that you would speak through me, Lord, the words that you would have them to hear. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. See here that Joshua is coming. He's nearing the end of his life. He's served uh, Israel. He's led them for some 50 years. He's done, the Lord has done many mighty works through Joshua as he led them into the promised land. And it says here that the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. So let's look this morning at the first of three points concerning this idea of passing on our baton of faith. Look back at verses 7 through 9. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him with the boundaries of his inheritance in Tanathares in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. The Lord prepared Joshua just like he did Moses. You remember Joshua was one of the spy, one of the 12 spies that Moses sent in to spy out the land. Joshua and Caleb came back with a favorable report saying, yes, we can go in and take the, Lord, take the land if we follow uh, the Lord. So he trained under Moses. Joshua did. And when Moses died, Joshua was ready to take the reign to lead the people. And under his leadership, the scripture says here that 
they saw the Lord do mighty works in Israel. In every circumstance that Israel faced, the Lord led them through it. And they trusted the Lord. This was a generation that was dedicated to serving the Lord. They saw his mighty hand at work among them. They saw the Jordan River dry up so they could cross over on dry land to enter into the promised land, just like Moses did at the Red Sea. They crossed on dry land and entered into the land that God had promised them since Abraham. This generation saw the wall of Jericho fall as they marched around it. The Lord told them, march around for six days, march one time around, and on the seventh day, march seven times, and then with a big shout, and what happened? The wall came down. The Lord gave them victory over their enemies. This generation... They saw the sun stand still. There was an extra 24 hours of light that God gave them so they could fight and overpower their enemies because it's hard to fight at night. This generation saw the Lord provide hailstones to defeat their enemies for them. Now, let's stop right there a minute. You know, a lot of people can look at creation and know that there is a God in heaven. Hail is one of the biggest miracles to me that I think there is. I mean, it can be 95 degrees outside and chunks of ice that big can fall out of the sky. Where do you think that come from? From the Creator. He's the only one that can do that. It's amazing. But it says they were dependent on God. They trusted in God and they followed Him. When I think about that wall of Jericho... Uh, I'm reminded of this story, and for some reason, this story reminds me of Ryan Haddon. I'll explain that a little bit more in a minute. But the new preacher was in town and, uh, at this church, Baptist church, and uh, he was going around introducing himself to different people, and he was talking to the children, and he was asking them Bible questions, and he was kind of amazed at how little they knew about the Bible. So he called a a deacon's meeting and said, brothers, we, we've got to do a little bit more mentoring and training with our children. He said, I, I asked one little boy. He didn't even know who tore down the wall of Jericho. Chairman of deacons went home that night and told his little boy, he said, son, if you tore that wall down, you tell me right now. <laughs> that sounds like, <laughs> that sounds like Ryan. I came into that door back there one Sunday morning, or it might have been Sunday night, I'm not sure, and I saw some feet going up over that baptister right there. It was Ryan. <laughs> Love you, brother. It's homecoming this morning as we're talking about being a dedicated generation. What about Cedar Street Baptist Church? Let's look back for a few uh, moments. And I want to do this, I'm, I'm doing this from my own personal experience. All of you have experiences that you can share as well. But I recall in 1960, when there was a handful of faithful believers at First Baptist Church here in Metter that wanted to start a Baptist mission. They, they went, they got a, a place 
downtown on Broad Street. It was actually up above a liquor store. And they put a sign up on the bottom down there that said Baptist Mission. That, it's in the social hall down there. You can look when we break to go eat. But there was a handful of faithful believers that started that mission. Then in 1964, they obtained a property where our social hall uh, now sits. Uh, I heard Brother Bo when he asked the charter members to, to stand up a while ago. Some of them are still here uh, serving. Um, at the end of 1979 is when I began to attend this church. And actually, it was at the invitation of Danny and Joanna Cardell. Uh, she kept, Joanna kept after me about coming. And uh, so she called one time and said, uh, I'm singing Sunday. I want you to come hear me sing. I said, okay, we might. So we woke up that Sunday morning. It was snowing. I said, that might be, the roads is slippery. We might not need to go this morning. But we came anyway. And long story short, I've been coming ever, ever since. Uh, but they were building this facility when I came. Uh, and we moved in this facility in 1980, I believe. I think that my daughter and I, and she's sitting in the back back there, by the way. I just spied her a couple minutes ago. <laughs> uh, and her family, Joe and uh, Davis and Dawson. But I think my daughter and I, we were, we were baptized at the same time, the same morning or whatever. But Frankie Hodges baptized. I think we were some of the last ones to be baptized in that baptistry. And uh, when Frankie was going to baptize, he had a cinder block down in the bottom of the baptistry for the children to stand on. I told him when he baptized me, he's going to have to stand on the block. <laughs> but after I started coming here, it wasn't long they, they put me to work. You know, they'll do that. And uh, Ronald Cardell, he come to me uh, one day. He said, uh, Bo, you're going to be our brotherhood director next year. I said, surely you jest. But he wasn't. So they put me to work early. And our brotherhood, uh, I think it was like 1981, Ronnie, you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, started our annual Christmas project that we're still having today. We've tweaked it along the years, but we're still having that project. In 1981 or 82, I can't remember the exact date, and uh, Miss Sykes couldn't remember it either, I don't think. Uh, but we went on a mission trip. My first mission trip that I went on uh, we went to New Orleans, Louisiana. I walked down Bourbon Street with Miss Inez Crosby, one of the most faithful members that we had in this church. Ronnie and Janie would bring her to church. But that, that's a fact right there. But we did some ministry work uh, in, in New Orleans. And in the mid-'80s, some of you will remember this, we did some work at the Georgia Baptist Children's Home. We were back in two down there uh, working with the kids and, and building buildings and stuff. There was a sign that caught my attention. It's, it was uh, granite or marble or something. And, and that sign was a verse of Scripture. And it was that Scripture. Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. I also remember, talking about taking you under your wing, James Hartley called me and Kenny one day. He said, look at him. 
I got a program that I want y'all to go through. It's 12 weeks, and it's memorizing a lot of Scripture, but I think y'all can do it. He said, I want y'all to do it. And it teaches you how to share your faith with other people. It's called Continuous Witness Training. And Kenny and I remember that even to this day. Of course, James has gone on to be with the Lord. James Hartley was the pastor that stayed at this church longer than any other pastor, except for Brother Bo. He's going to be here 30 years. <laughs> I remember serving on the deacon body with Mr. Guy Parker and Mr. Woodrow uh, Brantley. I remember when... Uh, we commissioned and supported Ronnie and Janie when they went on the mission field. Um, under Casey Shaw's leadership, we built the admin building, the Adamore Sunday School to reach more children. Today, our children and student ministers are doing quite well. Brother Dave is heading that up, leading them. We've went through 15 years, I think, of teaching kids Bible verses and scripture and about Jesus in Awana on Wednesday night. You know, there's some interesting stories that come out of Awana. Uh, Janie probably has a lot. But this is one little particular incident I remembered. I was listening to a little girl, probably second grade, doing her scripture. She was working on John 3, 16. And she, I said, okay, say it back to me. She said, for God so loved the world that he sent his only forgotten son. <laughs> I said, Let, let's try that again. <laughs> so we went through it, and I never did get her to say the right word, but there was a sermon in what she said. Sometimes we do forget who Jesus is. We put him up on a shelf that we want to go back and get him. So that was, a, that was an interesting uh, little story there. Uh, we have a missions committee today that's working to envision how we can go out and proclaim the gospel to other, other people in other areas. When I told you in that Sunday school class I taught that somebody said older people are in leadership positions. Today, that's not true. We've raised up new Sunday school teachers, younger Sunday school teachers. Uh, we have younger deacons serving on our deacon body. So I think we're making progress. We've got men and women Bible study groups that you can be a, a part of. For the future, we're looking to expand this sanctuary so we can seat uh, more people. It's about full this morning. I thought when Brother Bo announced that I was going to preach this morning, I wasn't expecting this big a crowd. <laughs> but thank you for being here. So you can see that we've been doing maybe a few things right, but we can't stop. You may have been a Sunday school teacher for 40 years. You may have been chairman of this committee or that committee for a long time. And we're not telling you to quit. We're just asking you to train up somebody that can come behind you and minister. Moses was 80 when he led them out of Egypt, headed to the promised land. He trained Joshua to step up. And Joshua did a great job of leading Israel. And this prosperity continued in Israel up till we get to verse 10, which leads us to our second point, the departure of a generation. Look back at verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work 
he had done for Israel, the departure of a generation. Now, I looked up the word depart in the dictionary, Webster, and it says to deviate from an appropriate course of action. God has an appropriate course of action for his people. He told Israel, look, if you will follow me, I'll take you to where you need to be. If you will hear my voice and obey my commands, I'll be your God and you will be my people. You know, when I was growing up, if I'd have just listened to my parents, I could have saved myself a lot of trouble. Um, growing up at home, I, I remember my daddy would be walking out through a plowed field and I'd be trying to walk behind him to step where he stepped. You know why? Because I wanted to be like him. If he told me to follow him and he walked off the dock down at the pond, I'd walk off right behind him. You know why? Because I trusted him. And my parents sacrificed greatly for me. The generation of my mama and daddy was a generation that sacrificed. And they did for me. When I was growing up, I loved milk. Of course, all we had was cow milk. Well, that's where milk comes from, but... <laughs> but there is a difference. <laughs> if it comes straight out of the cow, it ain't been homogenized and pasteurized and all that. Um, I think what broke me from drinking from the cow was the cow got on bitter weeds one time. And that, it didn't taste good. But my mama, she worked at the five and dime store in town. Didn't make a lot of money. But she pinched pennies so that she could get the milk truck, Robbie Dean Adlin, y'all remember him? To drop, just leave milk at our house in them bottles. And then they'd come back the next week and leave you more milk and pick them bottles up. Uh, but she did that. They, my parents taught me to have a good work ethic that helped me in my career. They struggled to send me to college. I didn't know you had to go to class. <laughs> they helped me get a vehicle. They took me to church, and they lived a good example in front of me. But when I got older... You know, you've heard people say before, I bet you when I grow up and get out of this house, I won't never go to church again. You've you heard people say that? Well, that's a bad thing to say. I don't know that I said that, but the older, when I got older and I departed, I went my own way. I went after the pleasures of the world. I didn't go to church on a consistent basis. I pursued an adventurous lifestyle. Did I mention adventurous? It was an adventurous lifestyle. I thought I was smarter than my parents. I was serving myself. That's what happened to Israel here. They were serving themselves. They departed from following the appropriate course of action that God laid out for them. They served themselves. They got caught up in material prosperity and what the world had to offer. And they failed to tell their children and their grandchildren about the mighty works that the Lord has seen. It says 
This generation knew not the Lord. Now, I can assure you this morning, if there's some distance between you and God, he didn't move. I can promise you it was you. It says he's the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. He said he'd never leave us or never forsake us. So as Christians, we can see that it's important that we pass on our faith and our experiences of God's faithfulness. We're carrying that baton of faith. Our third and final point, we see the consequences if we drop it. You know, when I told you that illustration about the Olympics, they lost the race because they dropped the baton. Let's see. Look at verses 11 through 13. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to serve them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. You see, God chose Israel to be his priest nation. They were set apart. Brother Bro taught that sermon series on Christians were set apart. Israel was set apart so that other nations could look at them. They would be a reflection of God to them, and they would come to know God through Israel. But guess what? They did just the opposite. Instead of them influencing other nations, they let the other nations influence them. I think sometimes today as Christians, we let the world influence us instead of us influencing the world. They, they, uh, you know, they wanted to be like other nations. They said, Lord, they got a king. Why can't we have a king? It went right over their head. They didn't realize that God was their king. That's what he'd been trying to tell them the whole time. And it says they followed the gods of those around them. The Bible says you can't serve God and mammon, which is the word. You can't serve God and serve the world. But we try to. We want the blessings from God, but we want the pleasures of the world. You remember Jesus told the church at Laodicea, he said, good gracious, make your mind up. Be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm. You just make me sick and I just want to vomit and throw up. You want me and the world. If you're not for me, you're against me. That's what Jesus said. And the scripture says they provoke the Lord to anger. You know, I've made some people mad, I'm sure, in my lifetime, but I certainly don't want to make the Lord mad. But they provoke the Lord to anger. So what, what about us? Are we, are we doing any better? I'm afraid if you look around in our society and look around in America today, you'll see some of those same gods of pleasure and material objects that Israel worship that we're doing the same thing. We've turned away somewhat from the moral standard that God has set out for us. We live in a depraved society. Ruth Graham, after she read a draft of Billy Graham's book that he was writing, uh, she made the statement. She said uh, he was writing about the moral decay in America. And uh, she said to Billy, if God doesn't punish America, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. This generation in Israel turned to other gods because they didn't know the one true God. America's close behind them. 
We're only one generation away from a generation rising up that won't know God. So it's important that we pass our baton of faith. So, so what does that mean for us this morning on homecoming 2019? 2 Corinthians 5.18, I think they're going to put it on the screen, but I'm going to back up one. 2 Corinthians 5.17, one of my favorite scriptures. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And in verse 18, he's saying, from the pre, he said, all this is from God. What's he talking about, all this? What I just read you in 17. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. In verse 18, it says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. As a believer, we have a race to run. Our baton is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He gave us this message to show others and tell others how they can be reconciled to him, how they can have a relationship to him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except by me. That's our mission. Follow God's command, run your leg of the race, and pass it on to those that God puts in your lane. We see that the generation that departs from God and disobeys His command to follow Him leads to a depraved society. It said they didn't know God. They followed after all the other false pagan gods that other people followed. So let's sum it up a little bit. As God's children, our responsibility is to pass on the good news of Jesus Christ to the generations after us. Now, I don't know where you are in your race this morning. You may be running your race well. You may be passing your baton daily to those that God puts in your lane. And that's good. Keep on doing it. Perhaps your baton's a little dusty or you're a little sluggish running. I pray that God will put runners in your lane that you can pass off the baton of faith. Or maybe this morning you don't have a baton of faith. I pray that you will listen to the Spirit's call that you repent of your sin and come to faith in Him. What a better day than to come home than on homecoming 2019. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, you've taught us the importance of passing on our faith, Lord, to the ones that come behind us. Lord, we thank you for the blessings that you've poured out on Cedar Street Baptist Church. Lord, corporately and individually, Lord, to those that were faithful. We thank you, Lord, for those faithful saints that have gone on before us, Lord, that laid the foundation here that we might build upon and that we might keep on keeping on running our race. Thank you, Lord, for a good time of fellowship together today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
A minister had just closed a revival in a huge Midwestern city. And having stepped on the train on his way home, he found himself seated beside a young man. With nothing better to do, he turned to the young man and tried to start up a conversation with him about the weather or just things in general. He noticed he didn't receive an answer, so he turned to the young man. He said, son, I'm a preacher, I'm a minister, I'll help you any way I can. The young man through his tears proceeded to tell this story. He said, preacher, about two years ago, I got so mean at home that my mom and dad couldn't do anything with me. While one day I went so far as to strike my father with my fist. He told me then, son, we're gonna have to ask you to leave home. We can't do anything with you. Well, you're breaking your mama's heart. So preacher, for the past two years, I've wandered all over this countryside. And about two weeks ago, I gave my heart and life to Jesus. And I wrote my mom and dad a letter. And I told them that I'd be on this train. And I told them that I wanted to come home. The preacher said, son, that's all well and good. But how do you know you're gonna be welcome? How do you know everything's all right at home? He said, preacher, we've lived beside these railroad tracks all of my life in a little white house. And out behind that house is a great big old apple tree. And I told my mom and dad in the letter, if everything was all right, if I could come home, just have dad go out back and tie a white rag in the top of that old apple tree and I could see it from the train. Preacher, we're almost home. We're almost home. I wanna go home so bad, but I'm afraid that rag won't be in the top of that old apple tree. Would you look out the window and tell me what you see? The preacher dusted the window of the train and looked out. Then he had a great big smile on his face. He said, son, son, you don't have a thing in the world to worry about. Why that old apple tree's in full bloom. That's all I see is white rags hanging from one end to the other. And out under that old apple tree, I see that gray-haired old mom and dad of yours standing there waving a big white bed sheet saying, come on home, son, come on home. And you know, that's just like Jesus. All we have to do is say, Jesus, help me. Jesus, take away my sins. And he'll welcome each and every one of us home. <laughs>